Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episodes 9 and 10 of Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firma, Parts 1 and 2. How are you doing today, Vicki? I'm okay. Yeah? Okay. Things going okay? Yeah, a little bit of allergies, we, but, you know. We've got this, uh, we've got a storm coming in. It's uh, apparently there's something that the weather people are calling a bomb cyclone. Oh. Taking place off the coast of the western United States, off the coast of uh, North America, actually, because it's impacting Canada and all these other areas. And, you know, I live in the Sierras. And so we're going to get a lot of rain. We're talking atmospheric river. Oh. Yeah. Wow, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, well, other side of the country, so. <laughs> well, plus I'm not allowed to watch the weather in my house. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> DC believes that me watching the weather is going to bring a storm. I can understand that. And DC would not be happy with, with the way our skies look right now. No, he wouldn't. So, yeah, we're all kind of battening down the hatches. This morning we went for a walk, and it was beautiful. We had a beautiful sunrise made all the golden leaves of the trees just light up. And then within a half an hour, it was really dark and the wind was trying to grab our patio umbrellas and throw them, which it's done before. Huh. We have learned that the patio umbrellas can be lifted over the two-story house from the backyard to the front yard and across the street. Yes, they can. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> yes. We have done the chasing of the patio umbrella. Uh, we uh, went outside rather quickly to pull everything down so the wind would not take them away. Yeah. So yeah. when is it supposed to hit? But the only big concern for us, of course, is the uh, burn scars from the major fires that we had here this year. The Caldo fire and the Dixie fire, really huge. They were the first fires that I, as I understand it, that crossed over the Sierras. You know, usually they don't go up and over, but these did. We have friends that lost property and friends wow. that were displaced, but were able to go home. Wow. And so when the rain comes, really heavy rains, you know, all of that burn scar turns into mudslides right. and landslides. It's a mess. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that while we get really good rain, doesn't cause catastrophe in these burn scars. So. Right. When is this supposed to hit? Uh, it starts tomorrow. Oh. So this is a Friday, it, though it's definitely moving in. I mean, it's just dark and windy out there. But the uh, big rain's supposed to start tomorrow and then run through until Tuesday. Wow. Yeah, which is, you know, amazing. And, and we collect rainwater off. We're allowed to do that for personal use. I don't know. You probably don't have that kind of restrictions where you live. But out here in the West, it used to be you weren't allowed to collect rain at all Oh, off your house because it contributed to the water table. A lot of our water is pulled from the aquifers as opposed to a lot of our neighbors, for example, have wells. Yeah, uh, we're on we're on city water, but a lot of our neighbors have wells. They're pulling from the water tables, and they the theory was is if you grabbed water off your roof in a rainstorm, then it wouldn't go into the aquifer, and it would deprive these other people of their water sources. But they've since changed that, and it's okay to use it for personal use. We don't use it in our food garden because you don't want water that's come off your roof on your plants. But we do use it for the other like trees and stuff in the garden. Wow. So, but enough about that. Let's talk about discovery. 
Yeah, I just want to go back quickly to last week because I looked up your Viridian reference. Uh-huh. I found this on IMDb, and I'm reading it word for word, so I'm going to put a link on the um, awesome. Thank you. site. The Viridian isn't just a reference to Viridian 3. And note the spelling difference. The ship is spelled V-I-R, and the planet's name is V-E-R. Oh, and excellent. Viridian 3 is where, like you said, the saucer section of the Enterprise-D crashed, and where Captain Kirk died in Star Trek Generations. But... Viridian is a bluish-green color, which is a perfect ship name for the Emerald Chain. A syndicate, perfect. Yeah, a syndicate of the blue-skinned Andorians and the green-skinned Orions. Oh, that's awesome. So, Way better than the reference. So I had actually, I guess I have never seen Viridian from the Star Trek movie in writing before, so I assumed it was an I. I'm really glad you looked that up. Thank you. And that is such a cool little piece of trivia, that Viridian is that blue-green color. I didn't know that either. I had no idea. That is so cool. Well, and there's another a reference in this. I'm thinking it's correct, but maybe it's not. When we, well, we'll get to it, but there was a reference to polaric energy. Did you catch that in this episode? I caught that. I don't know what the reference would be to. Well, if memory serves, polaric energy was the kind of energy that was used in that episode of Voyager where Captain Janeway and Tom Paris went to this planet that there had been this terrible explosion and then it got trapped in a time Oh, crack, okay. And it was a polaric energy explosion that happened. So I was kind of wondering if that was a reference back to that episode of Voyager. What that, what that, was that called? Time and Again, I think? Uh, I can't remember, but I know exactly yeah. what episode you're talking about. Yeah. Where she wore her hair really long. Where she had hair issues in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I re- I'm really glad when they just kept it simple. Because you know what? If I was captain of a spaceship, I'd keep it simple. <laughs> well, it's funny because I told you, I listened to the Delta Flyers podcast. Yes. And it's Garrett Wang and um, Robert Duncan McNeil. And they bring up the hairdo quite often <laughs> and how much it changes. Yeah. We won't spend too much time on hair, I don't think. So <laughs> let's talk about terra firma. Did you like this two-part episode. I did. I liked it, but it just seemed like a two-part filler episode. Its purpose was to get George Oba to Section 31, basically. Yeah. But I did like it. I did, too. Actually, the only thing I didn't like about it is I felt that some of... I mean, granted, it's the Empire and Terra. For those who um, need to be refreshed about what Terra Firma are about, this story is about Philippa Giorgio reconciling herself after her transfer from the Terran universe, the Mirror Mirror universe, to the Prime universe, and changing in time has apparently messed with her whole cellular structure. And so she got an opportunity to fix this, which we'll talk about. And so she got to spend some time back in the Terran universe. I felt like some of the activities in the Terran universe were a little bit gratuitous. And I get that it's the Terran universe, which is, you know, ruled by Beacon Claw. But sometimes I felt like it was a little much. Well, you know, know, my opinion of the mirror universe is it's always a little much. So. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about this. At the end of last week's podcast, we talked about how there were still these threads of stories that needed to be dealt with. And one of those threads was this mysterious ailment that Georgia was experiencing where she was kind of losing consciousness and having visions. And now last week she was starting to sort of disintegrate, it looked like, in some ways. Yes. And so this two-part episode is the resolution of the Georgia story. We start off with sort of the recap of what was going on with her. And she says to Culver, she's dying. And he says, that's not that cut and dry. And then we go almost immediately to that guy, Kovic, the one with the big glasses who interviewed her early on in this season. And he says that he understands what's going on and that it's because 
she's from the alternate reality. She's gone forward in time. The alternate reality and our universe is drifting farther apart, which, of course, begs the question, drifting in what? Farther apart from where? Right, right. You know, I'm trying to visualize what this. I love the idea of it. You know, what is the element in which these realities exist such that they could be drifting? Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) cool. Anyway, so... And that the problem is, is that there's no way to fix this. She's going to die and it's going to be painful and ugly. And he seems kind of pleased about that. I don't know if it was pleased or matter of fact, but yeah, he wasn't concerned. It was just, he was stating facts. I kind of got the impression, and maybe I was wrong, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but that he was looking forward to studying that. And again, I agree with you. I think it's matter of fact and very fact focused. And yeah. so he was actually looking forward to collecting facts about this particular unstoppable event that was going to take place. And not in a bad way. He didn't come off, I, I should probably clarify, I didn't see him as amoral or, you know, not have any compassion or empathy. Just, this is going to happen. You know, he was going to take what he could get from it. Right. Anyway, and then he also said something very important, which I think was really the um, sort of like the threshold element of the episode, which was to not tell her she's dying because she would instinctively look for a way to die in battle. Right. And that never occurred to me. And, And to me, that's really an important element because we watch her throughout the rest of the episode looking for ways to die in battle. Right. And so apparently she she already knew. Maybe yeah. he told him not to tell. Anyway, when this Kovic says there's nothing that can be done, Culber doesn't believe him and asks the computer to confirm this, mm-hmm. which was really cool because when we get the opening look back at other episodes, we're reminded that Discovery is carrying the database. And so the database actually provides an option. The Sphere data says there's a cure on the planet Danis 5. And says it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So they're going to talk to um, the Admiral about going to Danis 5. And Saru, once again, is like, but we have to stay here and we have to fight the Emerald Chain and we have to support Starfleet. And That's exactly, I wrote, once again, Saru. Once again. (laughs) (laughs) And the Admiral said something really good, which is, if one of your crewmen is drowning... And if you don't save them, your crew is never going to look at the same way and you're going to never look at yourself the same way, which is, you know, so important. But it it felt weird to me because in the previous episodes, we've been talking about how Saru's focus is on the family, on the family, on the family. Mm -hmm. And now he's got a family member dying and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we got to stay with the Federation. So was that inconsistency in the character or was that he was focused on the Federation family and not on this individual? I think his, what, do you, what do you think? I think his focus is on the Federation family. I think his focus is to prove himself to Vance, although he's just going about it the wrong way. It's weird. And Vance changes week to week, too. Yeah, he does. Yes, you're right. He does. Because that's not what I expected. I expected them to have to convince him. Yeah. And maybe he's softening up because he's used to them now. And maybe at the beginning, he didn't trust them as much as he could have. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. That's kind of the where I'm leaning. Yeah. But he does seem to change week to week. And Saru, I said a couple episodes ago, he's rigid. And yeah. he was told that they had to be there for whatever reason they had to be there. And he wasn't going to listen to anything they had to say about Giorgio. Even with Vance standing there, he just overrode the whole thing. I agree. I think your uh, assessment of rigidity, the more I see these episodes and the more I see the character, I, I think that's just right on. Rigidity. And he's rigid in where he's focused and facing and that's what he's going to do. And then he has to essentially be turned to focus on something new. Right. Because he's rigid and you just have to pick him up and like 
rotated and then say, okay, now look over here. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's this really good scene in the mess hall where Giorgio's condition is actually making her insubstantial. She can't pick things up. Right. It's like the space between her molecules is like phasing or something. And so she can't pick things up. And the people in the mess hall are looking at her with a great deal of compassion and concern. But of course, she is so prickly and dangerous that they don't want to do anything. But Tilly, who is actually a very courageous person, she's very brave. She's yeah. emotionally brave. She goes and sits down and says, if you need any help with anything, please, you know, let us know. We will help you. And of course, Giorgio's response is hostility because she's looking for a fight. Right. She immediately insults Tilly and throws food on her. And when Burnham intervenes, she says to Tilly, you should use a phaser and put me down like a dog because she's looking for a fight. She wants to fight her way to the end. She's mm. afraid. She knows she's dying and she's looking for a fight. So then Burnham finds her in the gym where she's beating the crap out of a punching bag really well. It's a nice punch. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, they get into this argument about, you know, how is she going to be saved? And, and Giorgio is pushing her buttons, trying so hard to get her to fight her. Burnham's just not having any of it. And she's just so calm and she understands what's going on. And I actually really like how every time Giorgio came at her from another angle, trying to push her buttons, she wasn't going to do it. Right, because she knew what she was doing. Exactly. And it's this conversation where she's telling her she has another option. On this Danis 5, there is some kind of option that the Sphere data says is going to, is, has a 5% chance of helping her. Mm -hmm. Where she has a 100% chance of dying. She has a 5% chance of survival here. So they're going to go do that. And they put some kind of a, it's kind of unclear as to what this monitor was on her wrist. I think it was just monitoring her condition because he said if it went to red... That seemed to be when she was phasing and not phasing. I don't know what you want to call that. Yeah. I guess it was just monitoring her. I don't think it had any purpose other than that. Yeah. Anyway, so they get to D Dennis 5, and it's uh, Burnham and Giorgio. They're the ones that beam down, and everyone says goodbye to Giorgio because they know she's probably going to die. Right. And it's actually kind of sweet. Tilly gives her a hug. Yeah, and Giorgio was almost civilized. She was. And yeah. I think maybe because she knew she was going to get an opportunity to fight. Or she thought or she, she was. Or she thought she was, yeah. Uh, they all say goodbye. And they go down to where the Sphere Data says they should go. And I liked this planet. It was so cool. I loved the rings in the sky. It was a snowy planet. You know, when they landed and they started walking, I almost thought the camera was going to pan up so we could see their footprints. It reminded me of the first episode. Yes. When they were yes. walking where, wherever they were, I can't remember. That was probably all in my head. But That I, would have been a lovely callback. That's kind of what I expected, that we were going to yeah. see their footprints or something. I don't know. That would have been a lovely callback. So they're on the planet. Meanwhile, we go back to the uh, Discovery because we're also chasing down the thread of the story of the distress call from the nebula where the burn originated. Mm -hmm. And we know that this distress call is from a Federation starship, but they're having a really hard time getting the algorithm that Adira has constructed to get them the information that they're looking for. And it leads to a conversation with Stamets and Adira where Stamets points out that Adira forgot to reinitiate the algorithm and Adira is frustrated and angry because they didn't remember to do that and Stamets is being a parent again you know consoling them and telling them that you're tired 
and you're angry with Gray, who has stopped talking to them. The scene isn't important for the story, but the scene was important for this relationship. Yes. And they got to see then the results of the algorithm. And when they saw it, Stamets said they had to find Saru. So we've got now two storylines happening here at the same time in the in this two-part episode. We have the following up of the data that they're getting from the distress signal and helping Giorgio. So we get to um, Dennis 5, and they're in the middle of this ice field trying to figure out where they're supposed to go. And they turn around and discover that there is a man smoking a cigar, reading a newspaper. He's sitting in a chair, and he's next to a door. So this guy just appeared out of nowhere. And he's reading a newspaper with a headline that says, Emperor Giorgio dies horrible, painful death. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he introduces himself as Carl. And uh, then doesn't really help them with anything else. And they keep asking them, you know, who are you and what is this about? And he keeps, like, giving them non-answer answers and they're frustrated. But she says she's not dead. And he's like, this is tomorrow's edition. So what are you going to do today? Finally, when Burnham asks about the door, that's when he's actually a little bit more communicative and indicates that if Giorgio goes to the door, she might find an answer there um, and says that her condition will not worsen, but there are other ways to die. I have to say, I loved this moment, and I'm not sure what this says about me, but (laughs) when Burnham tries to argue with her, Giorgio says, no, when to shut the hell up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you go, just Tell her to be quiet. (laughs) Because while I think Burnham is a great character, Mm -hmm. and I think she frequently has really good analyses, there are times when you just want, she just needs to be quiet and let other people do do what they need to do. Exactly. And I think that might be a Vulcan thing, where she's trying to find the logical course, and she's not really understanding that sometimes decisions need to be emotionally driven, or you need to allow the space for emotionally driven decisions to happen. Yes. And so that was one of those moments. So... Giorgio walks through this door that's in the middle of nowhere. It's just a door with a door frame. There's nothing on either side, but she goes to the door and she discovers herself back in the mirror universe um, with all of her honor guard, including Tilly and Owo, mm-hmm. you know, saluting her and shouting terra firma. So hence the title of the episode. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on Discovery, the data that they finally were able to get from this, stre- this distress signal is from a Kelpian woman, and it is over 100 years old. And so this has just been on repeat, just automatic repeat. So they're thinking, okay, well, we have the prefix code for this ship because it's a Federation ship that the Kelpian woman was aboard. And so they should be able to use the prefix code to get data from the ship. Now, of course, we know about prefix code use from as early as the Wrath of Khan, 1982. (laughs) Arguably one of the best Star Trek movies. Yeah, I agree. Though I I think we've discussed this before. I'm kind of fond of insurrection. I know it's kind of silly, but I like it. And I think we've discussed this before. I'm not fond of that one. But (laughs) I think my favorite is uh, Voyage Home. Oh, yeah, with the the whales. Yeah. Yeah. First Contact is really good, too. Well, I told you I hadn't seen that until we started doing this podcast like three years ago. Yeah. I had never seen that. But you rectified that, right? I have. I have. Oh, but I was very upset because I never knew that Troy and Riker got married. They got married in the last one that the Next Generation cast was in. What was that one called? I, I just disliked that one so much. I only watched it once. But they got married in that one. Right. But because I watched that one, I realized I didn't watch all the other ones. Ah, yes. So I did all of them. 
well, you remember. There's an unpublished podcast somewhere with me going on a rant about her marrying him. <laughs> <laughs> a very long rant, if I remember correctly. <laughs> we'll keep the rants to ourselves. So we go back to the, the mirror universe, and, and Georgia is orienting herself to what's going on. And she realizes that this is the day that Michael's going to betray her. Yeah. And so she's decided she is going to try to change this. So, and they're christening the new empire ship, you know, the new like flagship right. for the emperor called the uh, the Sharon. Now, I, I feel like we've talked about this before. Maybe we talked about it when we saw when we did the first season of Discovery and talked about who Sharon is. Sharon in Greek myths was the ferryman that ferried souls across the river Styx into Hades. Yes, I remember this. I remember yeah. talking about this. Yes. And I'm still trying to kind of, you know, it's just that the ship is going to bring death. <laughs> that what the purpose of that name is? That's what I was kind of wondering. I don't but know. anyway, so there's this wonderful scene to, to help commemorate the Sharon. They do this sort of artistic presentation for her. Yes. And she's in this fabulous costume with, you know, this crown that looks like rays of the sun and this gold cloak. This is like cosplay love. If I ever got an opportunity to cosplay, <laughs> that's how I would do it. Because it's totally awesome. And she gets dressed, by the way, um, by her Kelp, who her new Kelpian servant, who happens to be Saru. And it's very interesting because she, before this special event, she actually saved Saru from being killed by Michael, yes. her daughter Michael, um, as well as was upset because Michael killed a family of artists that Giorgio thought their art was sublime. And so Michael said, well, I killed them and that will increase the value. Yes. Now they can't make any more. So... We have this connection that she's making with Saru, the Kelpian, who, had she not worked with Saru in the Prime Universe on Discovery, she probably would have just eaten him. But instead, she takes him as her servant. She understands that, um, you know, he knows that the, she knows about the Vaharai, which mm-hmm. is that Kelpian trans, transformation. And then, and then he starts to tell her uh, that the slaves have been talking about how Lorca and Burnham are going to overthrow her because they think she's weak. Then she says, okay, I'm going to show strength. So then during this artistic event to commemorate the christening of the Sharon, I, I, I want to tell you, I, I didn't pick this up the first time, but the second time it was like really clear to me. Have you ever read Hamlet? In high I mean, school, other than my in name. high school, but don't ask me to <laughs> remember. So at the end of Hamlet, so just for those who need a refresher, of course, Hamlet is a very famous play by Shakespeare, and it's the story of this young prince whose father's ghost comes to him and demands that he avenge his murder, and then he spends the entire play hemming and hawing about it. It's you know wishy washy about whether he's going to do it or not on the advice of a ghost. The last scene of the play is what's called a play within a play. Mm-hmm. where Hamlet's decided that he is going to try to get proof of his uncle's guilt of murdering his father and then marrying his mother by having this play be of a brother who murders his brother, the king. Okay. And, you know, you get the line, the play is the thing wherein to catch the conscience of the king, which, of course, is the title of an episode of original series Star Trek. Right. With Anton Caridian. Great episode. And and that's what this reminded me of, the play within a play. In the Hamlet story, there's all kinds of intrigue going on around this 
play within a play that the king and the queen and every all the whole court is watching. And that's the same thing that's happening here. There's all these shared glances yes. of who's, you know, conspiring and who's not conspiring while Mirror Stamets is reciting really bad poetry. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking, this reminds me of, of the play within a play from Hamlet. You know, all this stuff is going on yeah. all around. And sure enough, when she stands up to accept the accolades of her people, Stamets tries sneaking up and to stab her and she turns around and knifes him and right. continues her conversation like nothing happened. <laughs> I do love her aplomb. <laughs> okay, you're dead. Keep talking. <laughs> and because of this, she instructs her people to capture Burnham, who she knows has been conspiring against her and there's one moment there that you know after she kills Stamets and she says I know there are people conspiring against us and we're going to stop this and Burnham stands up and you know shouts loyalty to the emperor and I I just was thinking you know if you're loyal to the emperor stand up and shout it yeah if you're loyal to the <laughs> I have to prove that I'm not disloyal but of course they already know right so and there's this really awkward scene where Burnham is spitting venom at her. Mm -hmm. I did not enjoy that. Oh, no. I don't like Burnham in the Mirror Universe at all. It's really horrid. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about how Lorca loves her for her, and, you know, she only she only pulled her off the trash heap because, you know, you know, she was the queen of her own trash heap, and then she was pulled off the trash heap to become no one. And Well, with her talking about the trash heap, so she must have had this hostility all her life you know because she's going back to her childhood talking about she was the queen of her trash heap and it's like she ruined her life by pulling her off this trash heap so she must have been carrying all this hostility forever yeah i was kind of hoping even though i didn't like the character i was kind of hoping we'd see Lorca. yeah that would have been cool yeah that been really cool and we may still well maybe not well, you never know because the mirror Lorca was killed and the Prime Loka pulled into the Mirror Universe, but now we can't access the Mirror Universe anymore because they've drifted apart. Maybe in Section 31, though. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode -episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So anyway, so um, instead of killing her, which is of, of great surprise and disappointment to all of her people, um, Giorgio orders her into the agonizer. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the first half of, you know, that's the uh, part one of the two-part episode. So what did you think of part one? Well, I liked part one. Because there was so much talk about the Mirror Universe, Michael, before they went to the Mirror Universe, it looked like when she did get to the Mirror Universe, Giorgio was looking for a do-over with her, Michael. Yes. But for a split second, I thought the only reason she was doing this was she was trying to change the fate of the Tyrians. Yeah. You know, because she was told they were destroyed, what, 500 years ago or something? Yeah. 
So for a split second, I thought that that's what she was up to. But as the episode went on and as the next episode goes on, I realized how much she changed. And I don't think she realized how much she changed. Yes, which is what makes it a great episode. Yeah. I agree 100%. You know, she had spent all this time talking about her Michael and, you know, in an admiring terms about her ruthlessness and her decisiveness and her incisiveness. You know, she was was always admiring of her Michael and how her Michael would just get things done and be done. And then, you know, the Prime Universe Michael was always thinking and being, you know, what did she say about her a couple of episodes ago? Interminably good or something? Yes, yes, something like <laughs> you know, that. Something yeah. like that. Anyway, and so she, I think, was forgetting about the other parts of her Michael in the Mirror Universe, the parts of her Michael that spat venom and killed artists and, you know, did these things that were perfectly reasonable and normal in the Mirror Universe, but that she realized actually were not constructive ways of doing things. And so she got back to the mirror universe and she realized she missed her Michael, the Michael in the prime universe, who was thoughtful and made sure that what she did adhered to a moral code and an ethical code. And she, yeah, I agree 100%. This episode is awesome because we get to see her have this recognition that she didn't actually want the Michael that she had been so admiring of. Right. So we spend most of part two in the mirror universe and most of part two is about torturing michael breaking michael Mm -hmm. bringing michael back into the fold and then not yeah (laughs) and and there's some pieces of it I, i i don't i don't i don't know about you but i don't feel a real need to kind of talk about all the steps that they went through because this is where I felt it got a little gratuitous. Mm -hmm. But a couple of things where when Michael's being tortured, she tells Giorgio that they're, you know, all their subjugated subjects are actually planning and allying and pulling together a coalition or alliance against them, the Romulans, the Klingons, the Andorians, the Tellarites. Um, And this, of course, references the mirror universe of Deep Space Nine, where we have all of these different species who came together to overthrow the Terran Empire. Right. So that's kind of um, referencing that. Now, here's a question. Do you think that she actually reviewed the history of the Deep Space Nine mirror universe, like log entries from those officers when Um, they came back? You know, yeah, that's a thought because, yeah, I would say yes. If she hadn't before... She heard that the Empire was destroyed. I have to imagine that after she found that out, she definitely would have. And she certainly wouldn't have any difficulty getting past the security locks right. on any kind of you know classified log entries. I'm sure she could have gotten a hold of those. So she should theoretically have already known about that, but maybe not. So what we see here is... Giorgio talking about how there's a different way to rule and how you have to help make your subjects more comfortable. And she actually references Genghis Khan about how you need to allow people to worship their own gods and then they will be content to be ruled. But Burnham is fighting this the whole way. And finally, um, we have this very interesting scene where Detmer comes in and Burnham looks like she's you know dying from the torture that she's been receiving. And Detmer comes in and says, it's okay, you, you don't have to do this anymore. And so then shortly after that, Giorgio arrives and talks to Michael in her sleep about how she used to have night terrors and she used to rage and fight. And Giorgio used to try to hold her still and struggle with her. And finally, one day she didn't. And Michael slept walked until she got to a field where it was full of fireflies Mm -hmm. and that would calm her down. 
And so Giorgio would just follow her every single time she had one of these night terrors and follow her to the field of fireflies. And so then she brought her this gift of fireflies in a, it's the ball. It's kind of pretty. It was pretty. Yeah. And then after that, Michael started the eating and then she, she, she seemed to have been broken and she seemed to have realized the error of her ways. And she promised her loyalty to the emperor again and the emperor gave her the job of killing all her cold conspirators and so then we see her going through the ship killing landry and bryce and all these other people throwing their badges on the table and when the emperor you know she says that's all of them and the emperor says michael then she kills detmer right who was came in with her and had been helping her kill everybody gratuitous again yeah yeah anyway so then they have a meal together and Burnham notes that they're no longer serving Kelpian on the menu because it's too high in cholesterol and too stringy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Burnham says that she's she can identify, find out where Lorca is, and she's going to track him down. And so they go to find him. They don't actually find him. They find one of his compatriots who says, you're going to die. And it's interesting that um, before they go and collect this guy, she has another scene with Saru, who's combing her hair, and he says he has to leave her service because the Bahari is coming. Mm-hmm. And she tells him, you can lock yourself away and get through the other side of the madness, and then you will be okay. And she said she knows somebody who did it, and he became a starship captain, and he looks at her and says, you are not Terran. Yes. Which is like the linchpin point of the whole two episodes exactly she is no longer Terran and she says of course I am uh, you know I will make Tara be you know being being a Terran be better um, but that's really the whole point here she is no longer Terran yeah and and it's also interesting because it suggests that you know in Star Trek you see a lot of connectivity and descriptiveness related to you know species Kelpians are this way and Klingons are this way and they're usually related to some biological element. You know, the Kelpians go through, you know, have ganglia and go through the Vahari. Whereas this particular sentence, you are not Terran, is about her behavior. Yes. Instead of some kind of a biological fact. Um, and I thought that was fascinating, too. You know, you, you see so much in Star Trek talking about all those biological elements to the different species. And this one was about behavior. Yeah. Anyway, so they are going to capture Lorca's compatriot named Duggan. So they beam Duggan aboard into the brig. She goes down to interrogate him. And all of a sudden, all H breaks loose mm-hmm. because Burnham shoots Duggan and then turns her gun on the emperor and says, you believed me? You thought I really came back to you? Ha, 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 ha. You know, t- stress twirling like Osiris from the week before. Right. <laughs> And then the emperor said, of course, I didn't believe you. And her people pull out their guns. Then all of a sudden there's, you know, fighting and shooting and death and blood. And there's hand-to-hand combat between the emperor and Michael. And the emperor is desperately trying to get Michael to make a different decision. But it's not the same Michael that she wants anymore. She, she doesn't even know who this Michael is anymore. And so Michael stabs Giorgio with a dra- dagger in the neck. And Giorgio stabs Michael through the stomach with her sword. And they both are dying. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is is that Saru is there. Saru shows up firing weapons too. Yeah. And he goes to comfort the emperor who's dying next to Michael, her daughter. And the emperor is so excited that he's come through his Vaharai. Right. He, he has passed through, she said, and she's so pleased. 
when she says that, then all of a sudden she is back on Dana's five in the snow, having walked through the door. And of course, then we have to deal with there's this whole time displacement thing because to prime universe Michael, it looks like she just walked through the door and collapsed. But she's got three months of data on this thing on her arm, this monitor on her arm to show that she spent three months in the Terran universe. So I guess that's what that was for, to provide factual data that she actually did do this and it wasn't in her head. But, you know, when they put it on her, they didn't know she was going to... I'm talking about the bracelet. Right, the the bracelet thing. What I'm saying is, is when you and I were talking earlier, you said that how we weren't sure what the bracelet was for. Right, but how would Culver know? He wouldn't. The writers did it in order to be able to prove factually oh, that oh, she oh. actually did spend three months in the Terran universe, even though it appeared like she just walked through the door and okay. collapsed. Okay. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. Anyway, so then this guy, Carl, he, you know, outs himself as the guardian of forever. Yeah. Who we first met in um, that wonderful original series episode, awesome. City on the Edge of Forever. So, and we also see him in some books. I don't know if you read any Star Trek books. No, uh, but but I think the Guardian of Forever showed up in the Star Trek book called Imzadi. So we we do see him in some of the books, but we don't ever see him again in any of the television stories until now. And he explains that um, she was given a chance to be weighed to see if they could give her an opportunity to go someplace else and make different choices. Right. What did you think about that? I kind of liked it. It was kind of more like like he was playing God. Yeah. We're going to give you a second chance and see if you do better. Right. Which I kind of thought was weird because I don't remember. And it's been a long time since I watched The City on the Edge of Forever. But was there anything like that in that episode? No, he just, uh, the, the Guardian said that, you know, you can go through and visit times in the past and, you know, learn all kinds of new things. He In that episode, my re- my recollection is, is that it was very much sort of a um, an opportunity to explore history right yeah i didn't really understand what that had to do with anything and maybe it had to do with the fact that he said that the guardian was used during the temporal wars um in ways that were terrible and so maybe that's why he kind of limited what he would do but that still doesn't explain why he made himself available for her exactly he said he was in hiding right that part of it was a little confusing i mean it was nice that he was there yeah it was great the way it turned out but what brought that or do you think, ooh, here's an idea. What if it was the sphere data that somehow connected with him? Brought him there. Yeah, that could be. Because the sphere data wants to take care of her crew. I'm going to use her because that was the voice that was used when exactly. the data talked to Saru. Yeah, that makes sense. We're going to go with that. That she actually may have communicated with him to make him available for her crew member. Yes. And how she would communicate with him. Well, she's got 100,000 years of... Knowledge and technology. Knowledge and technology yeah. and interaction. And so if she interacted with the Guardian of Forever, who's connection with time is going to be very fluid she could very well have seen or they could have seen together this need in the future and then had communicated about it uh, i'm completely hypothesizing now. no it wasn't explained and we were gonna to have to just make it up i guess right but so we did let me stop you here for a minute because i realized yes. when i watched this the other day that i never saw the end the first time i watched it oh. i either fell asleep or i turned it off and and when i went to turn it on the next time it went to the next episode and i just assumed that i saw the end and no reflection on this episode if i fell asleep 
It's just, you know, I do that. <laughs> it's life. I totally understand. I knew she came out of the mirror universe. And I knew she said it turned out the same way. And he said this time she chose peace. So I, until I watched it the other day, thought that she went back into the mirror universe again to give it another shot. So I've been wondering all this time how she was going to get out of the mirror universe to get back to section 31, which we all know she's going to end up in. Right. That's how I remember it ending. Like I made it up. And that, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because you think that's where she belongs. I think that's what I thought when he said, this time you chose peace. And I specifically remembered that. And so I guess either I fell asleep and in my mind I made up the ending. And that's all right. (laughs) It makes, it makes sense. This time you saw that he sent her back to a time when the mirror and the prime universes were still aligned. So she would not die from this cellular eruption thing that was happening to her. Right. Um, but he says her life will still be difficult. Yes. But everybody's so, is. But that's going to be your uh, the third section 31 adventures. Yeah. So there's a, a uh, you know, a goodbye scene that's kind of sweet between Burnham and Giorgio. And and this time Burnham actually does what Giorgio had suggested she do before, which was she actually kept her mouth shut. Right. I was really impressed by this. You know, it's funny because, like, I missed that whole speech. And I was impressed by the speech that she gave when she left the ship. And this was even better. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, and there's one thing that actually I was frustrated about in this last scene with the two of them, where up to this point, she's been having visions. Giorgio has been having visions about someone dying named Son. We didn't get any explanation about that, except that I regret not telling you about Son. And we probably never will now. That, uh, well, then why raise it at all? <laughs> Maybe it'll come out in the Section 31 series. But I was really frustrated with that. You know, for at least two times we see her, three I think, we see her crying out the name San. Yeah. And we get no explanation. Right. I'm going to forget about it by the time Section 31 comes out. We'll remember. We'll remember. As soon as they start talking about it, we'll remember. One thing that I thought was also really interesting is that she says to Burnham as she leaves, this era, meaning this 900 years in the future, is more Terran than where you come from. Which I thought was a really good point because I think that's one of the reasons why she kept looking for her Terran Michael's responses to things because that would be the more appropriate response to what's going on. And that's why she was looking for it. And then, of course, there's the, you know, really big, humongous hint about Saru's not the only one who's suited for the captain's chair. Yes. Shine a right big light on that. (laughs) Pay attention to this. (laughs) So then she walks through the portal and she's gone. And we get sort of the wrap up of the of the episode where Sue's talking to Vance about their finding. And I should go back. There's a scene where they're having difficulty accessing the, the ship and they can't hack into it systems remotely. And so Book brings them a emerald chain piece of technology, which enables them to extend their range and access the ship. And it's all good. And there's this funny scene with Reno, who's eating licorice and says it's not food it's an accessory and that was funny because they told her you're not supposed to eat in here and she says that and then book comes in and says the same thing to her right which i just thought was funny because he's pretty new he's reading the manual like he was told to Uh, yeah i guess yeah but vance is actually unhappy that they used emerald chain technology I guess he th- they think he's that's going to hack the ship. Yeah, I don't know why he was upset. Is that what he said? I don't. I don't. Yeah. So it's like again, once again, you know, go save your people. But oh wait, this was wrong. Every decision that they make is wrong. Yes. As far as he's concerned. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, oh, and you know that you know, books got to follow Starfleet protocol, and you know, we don't want the spore drive to fall into Osiris' hands. Anyways, uh, they hear that um, Burnham has returned to the ship, and so book goes to find her and comfort her because she's alone 
And so when Saru asks her, is she deceased? And Freedom doesn't answer, but yes, because he sent her back in time. So she's deceased now. Yeah. Anyway, so, and then there's uh, uh, toasts to Giorgio in the mess hall, which I thought for the most part was really good. I felt like Burnham's toast was too long. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love her, but a lot of her dialogue is too long. Yes. Um, and that was the end of the episode, which I, for the most part, really, really liked. Yeah, so did I. So did I. Oh, and then when we see Reno, I should uh, I wanted to talk about the polaric energy. She comes in and she's been, they haven't seen her for a while, she said, and that's because she's rerouting power conduits to transition the ship from warp plasma to polaric conduits, which, like I said, uh, to me, I think is a reference to that Voyager episode. It could be. You know, I don't pay a lot of attention to the uh, science To the weird trivia that I do? No, the science-y kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's not something I would recognize. Yeah. But I believe you're right. I'm sure you are. Well, not necessarily Viridian. Well, you were right. It was a reference to Viridian 3, but also the color. I love that. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So you were right. Any other thoughts on Terra Firma? No. Parts 1 and 2? No. I think I'm good. All right. Very good. Well, the next episode is called Sukal. Do you remember this one? I don't remember yeah, anything by I the names. No, well, I don't remember it either. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time when we talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode Sukal. We'll okay. see you then. See you next week. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.